Hello on a rainy Thursday afternoon coming to you from Tyler, Texas, where the azaleas and the roses have been uh, looking pretty good over the last week or so, but boy, they're getting some extra moisture this week. Uh, we've had a lot of rain, a lot of thunderstorms, and uh, it's not done yet. It's a chilly day in Northeast Texas, and I hope that wherever you are, you are safe and warm and dry and enjoying the blessings of our great and gracious God. As we continue on in our series of lessons on Thursdays, we are looking at a book on the Psalms by Tim and Kathy Keller, and it is called the Psalms of Jesus. So it applies the Psalms to uh, the time of Jesus in the first century and makes some applications as we go. And today we're gonna to be looking at Psalm 44. Psalm 44, it takes up a few days in our past week's reading, April 1st through the 3rd. And so as we read through it, it's a, um, it's a very challenging message because it's a message. We love to think of God as being a God of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and joy, and he is. But he is also a God of justice. He is also a God that has given us his word, and he has called upon humanity to be obedient to their creator. And there's a great passage that we'll look at in Romans 1 in a few moments. But let's look at Psalm 44, first of all. The setting, it sounds almost like something that is written during the time of the exile in the 6th century BC, the 500s. But more likely, it's written before that time and is uh, written in as a reaction to a battle that the Israelites had been in and had suffered uh, tremendous losses. So we'll start in Psalm 44. Now that I've got you all psyched up for this lesson, right? <laughs> well, you know, the question is, will God give up on us? And some people would say no. They would say no, that God would never give up on us. And I can tell you, as long as you're looking after him and seeking him and seeking his word and wanting to live in a way that is according to his will, I believe that that's true. I don't believe that God will ever give up on you. But if you are heart set and um, uh, determined to live the way you want to live, no matter what the Bible says, no matter what God's want, God wants or God's will is in your life, if, if you have yourself put on the throne and you're going to do whatever it takes to make you happy, no matter what the Bible says, you're going to do whatever you want to do, no matter what God's will is, I believe God will ultimately give up and he will wait until you have a turn in your heart, which may or may not come. Uh, it's said of Pharaoh that uh, God hardened his heart, but only after Pharaoh hardened his heart time and time again against Moses and against God's call. And that's a scary, scary thought. Uh, and so let's look at Psalm 44 because I think it's an important message. It's not a very popular message today but it's an important one nonetheless. Psalm 44, we have heard it with our ears, O God, our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. 
I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. Uh, as the psalmist looks back before he gets to today, he looks back on their history and he looks back on the same Old Testament that we have. And he sees those great stories of the victories of God's people in times past, whether it's in the time of Abraham uh, or Joseph or uh, in the time of uh, Joshua in the, New, in the Old Testament or in the time of Moses as they were defeating enemies throughout the wilderness. Um, whatever time that is, the psalmist acknowledges and possibly even uh, more recent victories as he talks about the ancestors that were closer to him in years, in time, uh, when God gave his people victory. And he states very clearly, it wasn't our military, it wasn't our weapons, it wasn't my bow or my sword. That's not what I trust in, but it is God who gives us the victory. In God we make our boast all day long. He says, uh, their God is our God. That God is still there, and that God still brings us help and brings us victory. But the psalm continues. Psalm 44, verse 9. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up. Psalm 44, verse 11. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The peoples shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. The Keller's right. When we think of the essential forms of prayer, we think of adoration and thanksgiving, confession and supplication, and those are good. But here the psalmist nearly shouts his pain, they write. They, he shouts his pain, his frustration, and even his anger to God. But the significant thing is that he does so before God, processing his grief in sustained prayer. God understands us so well that he permits, even encourages us to speak to him with uncensored hearts. Can you speak that honestly to God when things are not going your way, when you're wondering why things are going the way they're going? Can you be honest with God? God knows your soul. He knows your spirit. He knows your mind, knows your heart. He already knows how you think and how you feel. So there's nothing to lose by communicating that to him. You can do that reverently, and I think that's a lesson that Job felt that he went too far because he repents in dust and ashes after God comes and, and challenges him with all those questions. Nevertheless, God uh, uh, affirmed Job and called on his friends to go and ask Job to pray for them. Obviously, Job was an honest sufferer and an honest struggler. And so we're grateful for that opportunity to go to God with our honest uh, hurts and questions. Habakkuk did that, and God answered him, and he didn't like the answer. And it was a very similar answer to what the psalmist gets here. Now you have rejected and humbled us, he said in verse 9. Verse 11, you gave us up. 
You gave us up to be devoured by our enemies, to be scattered among the nations. That sounds like something that would happen in the exile, but that wasn't the only time that God's people were taken captive. And it was just that great time when the nations of Israel at the hands of the Assyrians and then the southern kingdom of Judah in the hands of the Babylonians were carried off into other nations and taken off into exiles. Their armies did not win. Their enemies did. Even though they said they trusted in God, they did not because their actions spoke louder than their words. Isaiah says that in the 8th century B.C. And then later on, Jeremiah would say that and would tell the people in Jerusalem and Judah and all who would hear, this is not a war, this is not a battle we're going to win. God has had enough. God has given us up. He's given us over to the, to the Babylonians. Whoever the enemy was here, God had done the same. At this time in the psalmist's life, you gave us over to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. The psalm continues, though, Psalm 44 and verse 17. He tells us exactly what's going on. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it? Since he knows the secrets of the heart, God would have known if we had acted that way, the psalmist writes. Verse 22, yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's a passage that's used in Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at chapter 1 in a moment. But the, the, the writer of Romans, Paul the Apostle, who suffered greatly because of his faith in Christ, he says, uh, there's, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a great statement of victory. But he also asked that question, who shall separate us? Shall death separate us? He answers his own question by quoting this verse in Psalm 44, verse 22. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Looking back when the psalmist wrote about how God had given them up. And Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, hey, we've already given our lives up to God. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, which was their electric chair, their lethal injection in the first century. It was a means of, of performing capital punishment. Deny yourself, not do everything it takes to make you happy in spite of God's word. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. For your sake, we face death all day long, Psalm 44, verse 22. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. The psalmist looks back on his life, perhaps on the life of some that he knows, and he says, hey, wait, we haven't forgotten God. If we had forgotten God, he would know. He would know, but, but that's not the case. It's just that God isn't acting in our behalf. 
God may seem to be asleep sometimes in the storms of our lives. The Keller's right. Just like Jesus was asleep. Do you remember that story? Master, the tempest is raging, that story. And yet Jesus was asleep because he had faith in the Father and the storm didn't scare him. You see, that's the difference between someone who's living obediently and someone who's not. The psalmist could say, hey, I don't know where you are, God, but rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. But for the person who has turned their back on God, who is committing what we call sometimes the sin of the high and uplifted hand, it's that sin that a person has when they look up to heaven and they go, God, I'm going to live the way I want to live. I don't care what you say. That's the sin of the high and uplifted hand. And that sin is not something that the psalmist was feeling like he had committed, but it's certainly something that we see around us in people who refuse to acknowledge the truth of God's word. It's been said that we live in a post-truth society, a post-truth time, where it's not that they've rejected the truth, it's that they've rejected that there is truth at all. That God's word is just another book. It's just another myth. It's just something that we don't have to really care about. The psalmist says, rise up and act, God. And we know that God will. But we also know that he will act with justice. The cross proves that God cares. But it also proves that God takes sin very, very seriously. Listen to these words in Romans chapter 1. Psalm 44 verse 11 had said, you gave, you gave us over to our enemies. Three times in Romans chapter 1, Paul says the same thing. God gave them up because of their lack of obedience to his will, because of their lack of desire to seek him and to follow him, but rather to put their own selves on the throne instead of God to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, to do what they wanted rather than what God, their creator, and the sustainer of the universe wanted. It's a scary passage. I'm going to read it in Psalm in Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. That clearly defines our day today. Since what may be known about God, Romans 1 verse 19, is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. How? Through creation. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Verse 21 of Romans 1, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And we're thinking, oh, we don't do that. We don't worship those things that God made. We don't make an image out of a wood and then overlay it with gold and then bow down and say, behold, your God. That's, that's part of what Romans 1 talks about. But any time we worship ourselves, we're doing the same thing. We're taking the creature ourselves. We're putting ourselves on that throne and we're saying, that's the God I serve. I do what I want. I don't care what God wants. I don't care what the Bible says. 
I'm going to do what I think makes me happy. I'm going to do what I want. When we do that, if you want to see a picture of the God you serve, then just look in the mirror because that's what's going on there. How serious is it? Well, the psalmist talks about how God gave them over to their enemies to be defeated because of their disobedience. Romans chapter 1 says the same thing. Starting in verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, verse 26, God gave them over. Second time he says that. God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men who abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Unfortunately, it's not just an apt description of first century Roman Empire. Unfortunately, it's a very accurate impression and, and description of 21st century America. Verse 28, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over. The third time Paul makes that statement. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. There comes a time when, if we are dead set on sin, that God will say, okay, if that's how you want to live, if you want to take yourself away from the truth of my word, and you want to do what Paul describes here as exchanging the truth about God for a lie and worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator, and he describes the sexual immorality that was rampant in the first century, homosexuality and adultery that are still rampant in our 21st century culture. God gave them over to it. He gave up on them. He said, okay, okay, if that's how you want to live, if you refuse to hear the truth from God's word and exchange it for a lie, I'll let you live according to the lie. I'll give you over. To that just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God Romans 1 verse 28 says so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done and he goes on and describes that in detail and then he ends this passage in verse 32 although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. It's a scary, scary passage. Because as we read through that passage, we say, well, that kind of sounds like us. Kind of sounds like us. The psalmist cried out to God from a righteous heart. And he says, hey, if I, if I hadn't been worshiping God, if I hadn't been seeking to be obedient to God, God would know. So look into my heart, Lord, and act on the basis of my righteousness. I fear that today there aren't very many that can say that same prayer. 
that can look around at the suffering that we see around us and and pray to God, hey, I'm, I'm coming to you from a righteous and pure heart. Instead, we hear the words of the prophet in Jeremiah's day and Isaiah's day. We hear the words of the psalmist in Psalm 44. We hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 1. We hear God's word saying, okay, if you insist on living with yourself laid up on the throne as God to do whatever you want, okay, I'll give you over to doing that. But I can tell you, I can tell you, you've given away your hope. You've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. May that not be true of us. Let us still pray for our communities. Let us still pray for our families and friends. Let us still pray for our nation and for our world that God will not give up on us. And that's why we are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they set it on its side, on, on its stand, so that it'll light up the whole house. In the same way, Jesus says in Matthew 5, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds, your faithfulness, your obedience, your love for God and his word, and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, don't give up on us. Don't give up on our country. Don't give up on our communities. Don't give up on your church. Don't give up on your world. Father, we know there will come a time when you do, when you tell your son, that's it, I've had enough. And we pray, Father, that from a heart of faith and humility that that day would come soon. But Father, we know with each day that it is delayed, it's only because you want to give your creation another opportunity to repent. So Father, we repent and we ask your blessing and we ask your forgiveness and we ask your guidance. And again, Father, we pray, please don't give up on us. Help us not to give up on you. Help us, Father, not to exchange the truth of God for a lie, to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Don't give up on us, Lord. Help us not to give up on you, but to continue to seek your word, to not just learn it and know it, but to live in obedience to it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May God bless and keep you throughout this weekend, and I'll see you on Tuesday.